Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. Israel's southern half, the Negev, is a triangle bordering Egypt and Jordan and reaching down to the Red Sea. The 1948 War of Independence actually ended only the next year when Israeli forces reached what is now the port city of Eilat. Four additional wars were fought, at least partly, over Sinai and the Straits of Tiran, the Red Sea's choke point. In the 40 years of peace between Israel and Egypt and almost 30 of Jordan's peace with Israel, this area seemed to lose its claim to priority in Israel's security concerns, but this proved as misleading. Gaza is a constant thorn in Israel's side. Sinai is a launching pad for jihadists. Iran has made even remote peninsular and maritime sites such as Yemen, East Africa, and the Bab el-Mandab choke point potential fronts in its campaign against Israel. What are the Israeli responses to these challenges through defense and diplomacy? To further analyze this topic, we're joined by Colonel Retired Dr. Eran Lerman, co-host of TV7's Middle East Review, Vice President of the Jerusalem Institute for Strategy and Security, and Editor-in-Chief of the Jerusalem Strategic Tribune. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Also joining us here in the studio is Colonel and Reserve Miri Eisen, who is an Israeli public diplomacy, security, and intelligence expert at the Institute for Counterterrorism at the Reichman University. Thank you for joining us as well. And uh, also with me here in the studio is our TV7 analyst and host of Watchmen Talk, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding on Israel's southern front. What are the challenges presented to the state of Israel? Well, as you indicated, uh, for many years, for the first 30 or 34 years of Israel's existence, the uh, southern command of the Israeli Defense Forces was the most coveted position on the general staff because Egypt was the main enemy and the Jordanian front was, uh, while secondary, also uh, quite active. But uh, ever since the uh, Egyptians have signed peace with Israel and have kept uh, the word meticulously, and also ever since the de facto peace with Jordan um, has become official and formal, the uh, South has lost uh, some of its glamour in Israeli uh, defense uh, circles. Now, there is no one strategy regarding Israel's southern problems. The first priority is to uh, keep and cultivate peace with Egypt and Jordan. And we have seen only a few days ago, Prime Minister Bennett uh, flying to Sharm el-Sheikh, the very place where the 1967 war started, and meet with Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi. This, of course, in both content and style, was meant to uh, signal that uh, the Israeli-Egyptian relationship is the bedrock of regional diplomacy. Also, of course, now with uh, a new uh, government in Israel, uh, there are better relations between King Abdullah II of uh, Jordan and Prime Minister Bennett, Defense Minister Gantz, and their colleagues. And these relationships, of course, um, help uh, to serve the common security interests of all three countries, 
as they fight terrorists uh, from uh, whatever ilk, could be Hamas, could be Jihad, Islamic, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, could be uh, uh, jihadi uh, groups in Sinai or trying to cross from Syria uh, into Jordan, the Dara area, which is a flashpoint now. In addition to which, there is the Iranian uh, maritime front. It used to be a semi-territorial uh, front with uh, weapons uh, going to Gaza through Sudan and uh, elsewhere. But now it's mainly uh, maritime. And again, even, even uh, in this particular sector, the Israeli security posture has improved due to its um, newly established relationship with the UAE and old ties with Oman and other countries. Indeed. Colonel Eisen, I'd like to ask you the next question. With regard to a meet, uh, uh, remarks that were made actually a few days before this meeting in Egypt by Israel's foreign minister at the institute, which uh, uh, you also uh, are a fellow at. What was Israeli foreign minister Yair Lapid's uh, most merited uh, aspect with regard to the Gaza Strip when he declared that Gaza needs to be dealt with once and for all uh, from a economic perspective versus a security perspective in order to so-called reestablish a posture of view for Israel's expenditure and military investments in order to deal with the prime issue, which is the Islamic Republic of Iran. But this Islamic Republic of Iran, even though the main challenge to that country comes from the north, uh, in the south, there are plenty of places where it has entrenched, whether it is in Yemen or in Bab el-Mandeb and other areas of that uh, uh, region from the maritime sphere. How do you see all of this actually challenge Israel from its strategic perspective on how to deal with the multiple challenges at hand? What a fascinating way to put it, but I need people to remember what it looks like. The Gaza Strip only borders Israel and Egypt, but Hamas and the Gaza Strip touches all of the Middle East. So you have a physical location on the Mediterranean Sea. The Hamas themselves have connections with Turkey, with Iran. Hamas itself and Erdogan have a very unique kind of relationship. So when the uh, defense, sorry, the foreign minister of Israel makes statements about what Israel should be doing when it comes to the Gaza Strip, he's looking at a broader aspect. How do we get better relations with both Egypt and the Gulf countries? How do we do so in a way where we sideline Iran? For a moment, I don't think that this is something easily done. It is also an enormous change in Israel's policy towards the Gaza Strip and the Palestinian arena from where we were until now. For the last 14 years, since the Hamas took over, Israel has viewed the Gaza Strip as let's isolate it. But right now they're talking about taking care of it, trying to do something that may change the arena. It isn't an easy thing to do. There is no easy fix for the Gaza Strip. I completely understand the need for a new policy. I hate being the prophet of doom, but I always feel that any investment in the Gaza Strip sadly goes down the drain, and that's hard. Indeed. Dr. Lerman, your perspective on this? 
I think uh, Miri is right. The, this is only one, um, let's say, element in the larger regional uh, chess game between camps, what I called once uh, the great game of camps. So it's like the game of thrones, only uh, it has no uh, imperious blondes and cuddly dragons. Um, it is a, um, a camp uh, of stability that Israel belongs to, that uh, to some extent even includes, I know that's not easy to say, but after all, our defense minister went to see uh, uh, President Abbas in Ramallah. It includes the Palestinian Authority, the Jordanians, the Egyptians. Uh, all of us have a vested interest in, in, in the same outcome, essentially, in this great game, uh, as do the Gulf states, as does Morocco at the far West, we just, which just chucked out the Islamists from government. We all share the same perspective. And I think this is at the core of the negotiations and the talks between this, the, the new Israeli government, Jordan, the Palestinian Authority to some extent, and Egypt. How do we, first of all, sustain uh, the, the uh, viability of this camp against greater challenges? Let's leave Iran out of the question for a moment. Although in Gaza you can never ignore the Iranians, they keep their own proxy there, the uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad. And uh, they, they do so in order to ignite Gaza when they need it to be ignited, not when Hamas, let alone Israel, uh, have their interests at stake. So that's one, one part of the game. The Turkish Qatari intentions uh, in support of the Muslim Brotherhood, including Hamas, is another. And we have to tread very carefully when we help uh, make Gaza a more livable place. We do not want to make it a success story because Hamas as a success story is a danger to the stability of Egypt and of much of the rest of the region. And then, there are, as I said, there are the Iranians in the background and the jihadi elements, which are not, uh, which are a standalone proposition which we are helping the Egyptians, according to foreign sources, we are helping the Egyptians defeat them in, in Sinai. All of this goes into the mix. And the result is, I agree with me, there is no solution for Gaza. As Moshe Dayan uh, said that uh, his uh, now very famous eulogy for a young man who was killed on the border of Gaza, uh, almost uh, almost uh, uh, 70 years ago, Roy um, Rothberg, it's a, one of the famous uh, speeches of Israeli history, and he basically said we cannot um, begrudge this people's hate towards us, but it is a fact that we need to live with. How do we manage this conflict if we cannot resolve it? Well, economic tools have something to do with it, uh, and in the and, and in the, on the way to any management uh, stands the question of the two bodies of Israeli officer and soldier held by Hamas and two Israeli individuals, uh, um, both of them not entirely in their right mind, who crossed over into Gaza and are held as inhumanely as hostages by Hamas. Uh, uh, this has to be resolved. And I think the fact that the negotiator for this issue uh, joined um, Prime Minister Bennett in his meeting with Sisi is probably indicative uh, because the Egyptians are the ones who who do the, uh, the, the Egyptian intelligence services are, are the ones uh, who do the uh, mediation now between Israel and, and Hamas on this issue.
indeed. Mr. Oren, in that same speech, the Israeli foreign minister uh, mentioned also that even though most security analysts and experts disagree with such a plan, as was clearly projected also here in the panel, uh, it was never tried. So therefore, uh, unless we try, it won't uh, actually uh, uh, ever show whether it has any merit. But with that being said, it does seem to speak the language that the American administration currently wants to hear. Is this basically a way to show the Americans that there is no alternative to the current reality at hand, where the two things on the table are either we reconquer the Gaza Strip, something that it goes against everything that Israel is interested in, or we're just going to wait for the next round of violence, which then again is not in Israeli interest. It was a puzzling remark because uh, many prominent uh, Israeli security officials were for this plan before it was hatched. Uh, they, over the last uh, several years, um, they came out uh, for uh, an island off the uh, shore of Gaza and of giving the uh, population in Gaza uh, better living conditions, both because it's uh, the right thing to do and because Hamas will have to reconsider whether to launch another attack, knowing full well that uh, they are going to lose um, these benefits. But, um, you know, the um, Lapid plan um, went, uh, was fine um, as far as it uh, went, but it n never really went far enough because this is, again, trying to build from the bottom up. Let's arrange something for Gaza and then we will see what happens, even though he, he said quite clearly that he is for a two-state solution. Nevertheless, he didn't say uh, how he's going uh, to uh, uh, restart a dialogue with President Abbas on the diplomatic level, not on the security arrangements which Defense Minister Gantz talked about with, uh, with Abbas. And if you don't have a vision for um, a final uh, peace, final status peace agreement, and uh, if you don't want to start at the top and then go down and find a piece of the puzzle for uh, Gaza, for instance, how to connect Gaza and the West Bank uh, through Chinese technology and Japanese funding. It can be done very easily through tunnels and bridges uh, and the like. Um, then you go back to the 1990s and Gaza first. Okay, Gaza first, but what happens next? Um, actually, uh, it all goes back to the mid-1990s and Hezbollah rather than Hamas. The so-called understandings that uh, Israel and Hezbollah reached after an operation in 1996, where each population will be out of bounds. In Gaza, we reached such an understanding in 2012, after Operation Pillar of Defense. But neither side kept its uh, part of the bargain. And what uh, Hamas is trying to do now is goad Israel into returning to these understandings. Hamas uh, is uh, trying to inflame the area, but not as much as to um, give Israel uh, either a pretext 
or a rationale for another campaign in order for the various mediators, as was mentioned, Egyptian intelligence, perhaps Americans, the UN, someone. The EU perhaps might go back into the picture, the, the quartet uh, being the US, UN, EU, and Russia. Who knows? Some, someone will give uh, finally the, the imprimatur. But in any event, um, it can't go on like this, with a rocket here and a strike uh, there. The um, uh, situation must be calmed down as part of a more general um, progress into a full peace agreement between the Palestinians on both uh, sides of their divide, both entities and Israel. Well, two quick points. One, whether it's the right thing to do or the humane thing to do, I think it's a matter of uh, terminology that should be carefully uh, understood because it's not necessarily the right thing to do, militarily speaking, when you're allowing so much uh, aid to enter into the Gaza Strip and and multiple uh, infrastructure uh, building uh, materials that then uh, go ahead and be uh, are utilized that's, by Islamist organizations to attack Israel. That's the practical problem, how to separate those innocent civilians you want your aid to get to and the Hamas terrorists who are exploiting them. Indeed. And the second point is about uh, Hezbollah and the agreement in 96. Ultimately, in 2006, the Second Lebanon War showed to us that it's not necessarily beneficial uh, in Israel's perspective. And then we have now a situation or a scenario in which we have hundreds of thousands of rockets, some of which are precision-guided munitions being pointed at Israel, again, bearing into question whether this was the right course of action at the time. But time will tell. Colonel Eisen, the Gaza Strip is ultimately not the biggest security challenge for the state of Israel. It's not something that Israel uh, cannot wake up one morning and say, okay, enough is enough, enter Gaza and deal with the problem at the heart of the issue with consequences of uh, which we do not want to even approach this matter. With that being said, it is possible and Israel has the upper hand. This is not the main challenge Israel is facing to its south. What are we looking, when we're looking southward, the main challenge that we should observe from here? I don't want to undermine 2.2 million people in the Gaza Strip. They are isolated. That borderline between the Gaza Strip and Egypt is controlled by Egypt. So let's go across the border. I just said 2.2 million Gazans, and those are a challenge. How many of us think about the 105 million Egyptians who right now are going through a time period where the bread price was hiked, where they have their own issues of development, instability, and in both places, the Gaza Strip and in Egypt, half the population is under the age of 25. When you don't have an economic outlook, when you don't have the possibilities that I can appreciate uh, Minister Lapid bringing up for the Gaza Strip, give them some kind of ideas. If you don't have it in Egypt, then you have the platform for the radicalization of a youth that we already see what happens 10 years ago. Now, that's scary, but that's something that we want to do something about. My last point is that on both fronts, you ask what Israel should do. We can't do anything. We are tainted. 
we're the bad guy. Egypt needs to do the Gaza Strip, Hamas. That's why it's so problematic. Whenever we do it, it's bad. The international community has to do. But the Gaza Strip and Egypt don't want the EU. They don't want Russia or the Quartet. They want it to be Arab, maybe Muslim. And I give these all as challenges for all of us to think about because there is no easy idea. And Jonathan, I say here because I strongly believe in it, it's not either or. Sometimes it's both. And I do think that if we would help the two million people in the Gaza Strip, we don't know that that won't do something. And you know what? I know it'll help Hamas. And that's terrible. But by not doing anything, I'm not helping those two million people. And I don't know if it'll change. Dr. Lerman, your perspective on this? We definitely need to sustain a differential between the Palestinian Authority, which mean ultimately at the end of the day maintains the working relations, working relations with us, uh, has not re broken its uh, essentially its word, and is in uh, on our side in the largest struggle in the region. Hamas is a problem to manage. We cannot make them the winners uh, of this conflict. Uh, between them and, and the Palestinian Authority, of course. And as long as we can, uh, and you're right, it's not our main challenge. We can solve it militarily. We don't want to because it is not a threat to our existence. So uh, we, can have, we, we need to find an intelligent conflict management solution that does not alienate Egypt and does not alienate Ramallah. Uh, and that is a very complicated challenge. Uh, uh, I know that uh, the former uh, UN representative in the region, uh, Miladnov, Nikolai Miladnov, a very, very bright and, and, and uh, well-meaning individual, was totally frustrated by the sheer hostility between Ramallah and, and Gaza. But this is a fact we need to, to, to uh, work with, and uh, uh, we need to have our priorities very clear. This goes down, of course, to cultural uh, issues within the Arab streets and uh, the, the construct of uh, various families and tribal uh, issues that uh, we won't have enough time to go into, uh, even for a couple Jerusalem studios. But we have about four and a half minutes, and I do want to touch base on Yemen. Mr. Oren, Yemen is an issue. The Houthis there are backed by Iran. Uh, they are sporadically, sometimes even daily, firing uh, both uh, uh, unmanned aerial vehicles as well as uh, uh, BMs or ballistic missiles uh, toward strategic infrastructure in Syria as well as Saudi Arabia. Uh, sorry, in Saudi Arabia and civilian infrastructure as well. To what degree is that also a danger to Israel? Well, it's of course uh, another launching pad uh, that Israel uh, must uh, uh, look into. It must uh, uh, put some of its intelligence resources out of orbit elsewhere and uh, focus its attention there. Uh, and uh, uh, of course, this is a burden and uh, Israel uh, wants to share this burden with some adjacent countries. And there are either countries uh, residing there or whose fleets are uh, in the region, uh, not only the fifth fleet, which uh, recently has patrolled, not only exercised, but has patrolled jointly with the Israeli 
Red Sea Fleet. Of course, uh, there is no comparison between uh, these two giants. Um, Israel only has a few vessels um, down south, while the Americans based in Bahrain um, have custody of the entire Persian Gulf, the Straits of Hormuz, the Indian Ocean. And a number of strike groups as well. Yes, they they have um, not only um, aircraft carrier strike groups uh, or task forces, but also um, destroyers, cruisers, submarines, and various planes, uh, both manned and otherwise. And um, it well behooves Israel to cooperate with the Fifth Fleet. And uh, as we heard uh, officially, as of uh, September 1st, Israel was transferred from the European command to the Central Command. This is a plan which was announced back in January, but now it's official. Colonel Eisen, we have about uh, two minutes left. I'd like to leave one minute for you and one uh, minute for Dr. Lehrman. How does Israel deal with Yemen? I want everybody to remember that until 2001, um, Taliban ruled over Afghanistan. And look what came out of Afghanistan. We cannot ignore Yemen. Yemen has become what Sudan used to be, what Afghanistan was and is. We cannot ignore these arenas where they're using different type of weapons, using horrific ideas in battlefield and otherwise that are basically to try them out for then use in the greater Middle East. And we need, because of that, to invest time and capabilities that we don't have to make sure that that does not surprise us. Dr. Lehrman? The Americans are not the only relevant uh, potential allies in the Yemeni situation. Uh, as you, Over the last year, uh, one aspect of the Abraham Accords has been uh, the continuation of what uh, has been established years before in terms of uh, security understandings and cooperation with key Gulf players. Uh, the Saudis are fighting uh, their war in Yemen. The uh, Emirates have split from the Saudis and are focusing on the key strategic areas in the south. And uh, let's say carefully, and to the south of the south. And uh, uh, for example, the, the island of Socotra. And, uh, and that strategic arena uh, is evolving in ways which could be beneficial to Israel. And uh, at, at least according to some speculations, Israel is also uh, present. Our relations with countries in the Horn of Africa. So we are in a different strategic game. Egypt is the key player. The Emirates are uh, punching way above their weight in this arena. And Israel is in close Indeed. coordination with both. Well, this is all the time that we have for today, so I'd like to thank Dr. Lehrman, Colonel Eisen, and Mr. Owen for being part of today's panel, and I'd like to thank our viewers as well, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.